0: Welcome to the Horror Babble Podcast. The Voice in the Dawn by William Hope Hodgson To those who have cast doubt upon the reality of the great Sargasso Sea, asserting that the romantic features of this remarkable sea of weed have been greatly exaggerated— I would point out that this mass of weed lurking in the central parts of the Atlantic Ocean is a fluctuating quantity, not confined strictly to an area, but moving bodily for many hundreds of miles, according to storms and prevailing winds, though always within certain limits. Thus it may be that those who have gone in search of it, and not having found it where they expected, have therefore foolishly considered it to be little more than a myth, built around those odd patches and small conglomerations of the weed, which they may have chanced across. And all the time, somewhere to the north or south, east or west, the great shifting bulk of the weed has lain quiet and lonesome and impassable, a cemetery of lost ships and rack and forgotten things— and so my story will prove to all who read. I was, at the time of this happening, a passenger in a large bark of 890 tons, bound down to the Barbados. We had very fine, light weather for the first twenty days out, with the wind variable, giving the men a great deal of work with the yards. On the twenty-first day, however, we ran into strong weather— and at nightfall, Captain Johnson shortened sail right down to the main top sail and hove to the vessel. I questioned him, concerning his reason for doing this, as the wind was not extraordinarily heavy. He took me down into the saloon, and there, by the aid of diagrams, showed me that we were within the eastern fringe of a great cyclone, which was coming up northward from the vicinity of the line— but trending constantly westward in its progress. By heaving to the vessel, as he had done, he allowed the cyclone to continue its westward journey, leaving us free. If, however, he had continued to run the ship on, then he would have ended by running us right into the heart of the storm, where we might have been very easily dismasted, or even sunk, for the fury of these storms is prodigious— if one comes truly within their scope. The captain gave me his opinion and reasons for supposing that this storm, of which we felt no more than the fringe, as it were, was a cyclone of quite unusual violence and extent. He assured me also, that when daylight came on the morrow, there would most probably be a certain proof of this, in the great masses of floating weed and wreck that we should be likely to encounter. These weed masses, he informed me, were torn from the great eddy of the Atlantic Ocean, where enormous quantities of it were gathered, extending, broken and unbroken, for many hundreds of miles. A place to be avoided by all reasonable navigators. Now it all turned out, as the captain had foretold. The storm eased hourly through the night, as the cyclone drew off into the westward sea— So that ere the dawn had come, we lay upon water somewhat broken by the swell of the departed storm, yet almost lacking even a light breath of wind. At midnight, I went below for sleep, but was again on deck in a few hours, being restless. I found Captain Johnson there walking with the mate, and after greeting him, I went over to the lee-rail to watch the coming of the dawn— which even then made some lightness in the eastward sky. It came with no more than moderate quickness, for we had not yet come into the tropics, and I watched very earnestly, because the dawnlight has always held for me a strange attraction. There grew first in the east a pale shimmering of light, very solemn, coming so quietly into the sky it might have been a ghost light spying secretly upon the sleeping world. And then, even as I took account of this thing, there went a spreading of gentle rose-hues to the northward, and upon this a dull orange light in the mid-sky. Presently there was a great loom of greenness most wondrous in the upper sky, and from this green and aerial splendour of utter quietness there dropped curtains of lemon that enticed the sight to peer through their mystery into the lost distance— so that my thoughts were all very far from this world. And the lights grew and strengthened, as if they had a great pulse, and the wonder of the dawnlights beat steadily upon the eye in an ever-continuing brightness, until all the eastward sky was full of a pale and translucent lemon flaked to thought with clouds of transparent greyness and gentle silver. And in the end— there came a little light upon the sea, very solemn and dreary, making all that vast ocean but a greater mystery. And, surely as I looked outward upon the sea, there was something that broke the faint looming of light upon the waters, but what it was I could not at first see. Out of the mists of the lost horizon there climbed presently a little golden glory— so that I knew the sun had near come out of the dark, and the golden light made a halo in that part of the far world, sending a ray across the mystery of the dark waters. Then I saw, somewhat more plainly, the thing that had lain upon the sea between me and the far lights of the dawn. It was a great, low-seeming island in the midst of the loneliness of the ocean. Yet, as I knew well from the charts— there was no proper island in these parts, and I conceived, therefore, that this thing must be an island of the weed of which the captain had spoken the previous day. Captain Johnson, I called to him softly, because there seemed so great a quietness beyond the ship. Captain Johnson, bring the glasses. And presently, we were spying across the vanishing dark at this floating land of the storm. Now, as we looked earnestly across all that quiet greyness of the sea at the dim-seen island, I became doubly filled with the mystery and utter hush of the dawn-time, and of the lights and of the lesson of the morning which is told silently at each dawn over the world. I seemed to hear newly and with great plainness each sound and vague noise that was about me, so that the gentle creaking of the masts and gear was as a harsh calling across that quiet, while the sea made hollow and dank sounds against the wet sides of the ship, and the noise of one walking on the forecastle was a thing that made all the vessel seem to resound emptily. But when I listened to the far-off parts of the sea, even whilst I looked with solemn feelings at that ghostly island half seen in the dawn, it was as if no sound had ever been out there, except it might be some damp wind that wandered forlorn in the distance of the ocean. And by all this you will understand something of the mood that had come upon me. And indeed I think this mood was not mine alone, for the captain was very quiet, and said little, looking constantly towards the grey gloom of the island in the dawn. And then... As the sun cast the first beam of light clear over the mists of the hid horizon, there came a little, thin noise out of all the dawn of the world. It was as if I heard a small voice far off in the miles, coming to me out of an infinite distance.
1: "'Son of man!' man.
0: I heard it very faint and lost— Seeming in all that mystery of the eastward sea, Drifting out of the quiet of the dawn. Towards the east there was only emptiness and greyness, And the quiver of the dawnshine, And the first rays of the morning, Upon the silver-grey shimmer of the sea. Only these things, And the low-lying stretch of the weed island, Maybe half a mile to the eastward, A desolate shadow, quiet upon the water, I set my hand to my ear and listened, looking at the captain, he likewise listening, having looked first well through his glasses. But now he stared at me, half questioning with his eyes. The sun stood up over the edge of the grey, glimmering ocean like a roadway of flame, broken midway by the dull stretch of the weed island. And in that moment, the sound came again.
1: Son Son of man!
0: out of morning light that made glows in the eastward sea. Far and faint and lonesome was the voice, and so thin and ethereal it might have been a ghost calling vaguely out of the scattering greynesses, the shadow of a voice amid the fleeting shadows. I stared round at all the sea, and surely on every side it was studded with islets of weed." clearly seen upon the silver of the morning sea, through the quiet miles into the horizons. As I looked this way and that way, with something of astonishment, there came again to my hearing a faint sound, as if I heard a thin, attenuated piping in the east, coming very incredible and far-off sounding, and unreal over the hush of the water, shrill and dree, and yet vague it was— "'and presently heard it no more. "'The captain and I looked often at one another during this time, "'and again we searched the width of the eastward sea "'and the desolateness of the long, low island of the weed, "'but there was nowhere anything that might lead us to an understanding "'of this thing that bewildered us. "'The mate also had stood near to us listening,' and had heard the strange, thin, faint calling and piping, but he likewise had no knowledge or understanding by which we might judge the thing. Whilst we were drinking our morning coffee, Captain Johnson and I discoursed upon this mysterious happening, and could in no wise come any the nearer to an understanding, unless it was some lone derelict, held in the weed of the great island that lay eastward of us. This was, in truth, a proper enough explanation, if only we might set proof upon it. And to this end the captain ordered one of the boats to be lowered, and a large crew to man the boat, and each man to be armed with a musket and a cutlass. Moreover, he sent down into the boat two axes, and three double-edged whale pikes, or lances, with six feet blades, very keen, and as broad as my palm." To me he dealt a brace of pistols, and likewise a brace to himself, and the two of us had our knives. And by all of these things you can see, as I have told, that he had known previous adventures with the weed, and that he had knowledge of dangers that were peculiar thereto. We put out presently in the clear morning light, towards the great island of the weed, that lay to the eastward. And this island was, maybe, nearly two miles long, and, as we found, something more than half of a mile broadwise, or, as the sailors named it, in the beam. We came to it pretty quickly, and Captain Johnson bid the men backwater when we were some twenty fathoms off from the midmost part, which was opposite to the ship. Here we lay a while, and looked through our glasses at the weed, searching it all ways— but saw nowhere any sign of derelict craft, nor aught that spoke of human life. Yet of the life of sea animals there was no end, for all the weed upon the outer edges seemed to crawl with various matters, though at first we had not been able to perceive these, because of the similarity in colour with the yellowness of the weed, which was very yellow in the light, outward fronds spreading out upon the waters— Inward of the mass of the island, I saw that there went a dark and greener shading of the yellow, and there I discovered that this green darkness was the colour of the great weed stems that made up the bulk of the island, like so many great cables and serpents of a yellow-green, very dank and gloomy, wandering amid their twistings and turnings and vast entanglements that made so huge and dreary a labyrinth. After we had made a pretty good survey of that part, we turned to the northward, and Captain Johnson bid the men pull slowly along the coast of that great island of Weed. In this wise we went a good mile, until we came to the end, where we set the boat to the eastward, so as to come round to the other side. And all the while as we went forward, the captain and I made constant observations of the island— and of the sea about it, using our glasses to the purpose. This way I saw a thousand matters to give me cause for interest and wonder, for the weed all about the borders of the island had living creatures a move within amid the fronds, and the sea showed frequently in this place, and the glitter of strange fish very plentiful and various. Now, I took a particular heed to note the many creatures that lived amid the weed, for I was always interested in the weed sea, from the many accounts which I had heard concerning it, both from Captain Johnson, and from other men of the sea that had been shipmasters in my voyages. And surely these islands and gatherings together of the weed had been rent from that great weed sea, which Captain Johnson spoke of always as the great eddy." As I have said, I took very good heed to note what manner of creatures lived in the weed, and in this way I perceived presently that there were more crabs than aught else, so far as the power of my glasses could show me, for there were crabs in every place, and all of them yellow in the top parts as the weed, and some were as small as my thumb-top, and many were less, I suppose, but I had I been closer to discover them but others crawling amid the weed fronds must have spread a great foot across the back, and were all yellow, so that, save when they moved, they might lie hidden entirely by matching the shades of the weed in which they lived. We had pulled round the northward end of the island, and found it, as I have told, something more than half a mile wide, or maybe three quarters for all that we could be sure— "'And here let me tell concerning the height of the island above the sea which we judged now, being very low down in the boats, and looking upward at the weed to be about twenty or twenty-five feet good above the ocean, the greatest height being in the middle parts, inward as it were, of the island, looking as if it had been a low, thick wood with the greater trees in the centre, and all lost in jungle of strange, creeping plants.' and this is the best likeness I can give of that island to any landward thing. Having pulled round the north end of the island, we made southward all along the western coast of the Weed, being minded to go entirely about it, and chance discovering the cause and the place of that strange calling in the dawn. And indeed, it was a dree place to be, for constantly we would open out some dark, cavern place of dark green and gloom that went inward of the weed amid those great stems. And often there seemed to be things moving therein, and always there was a quietness in all that desolate waste, save when some small wind played strangely across it, making the yellow fronds of the weed stir a little in this place and that, with little sighings of sound— as if doleful beings lurked in all that mass of quiet darkness. And when the little wind had gone away over the sea, there came a double silence by the contrast, so that I was glad that the boat was kept well off from the weed. In this way, with growing caution and quietness because of the dreariness of that dank and lonesome island which had begun now to affect our spirits somewhat, we went downward to the south along that coast of the westward side of the island. And as we went, a greater and a greater hush and caution came upon us, so that the men scarcely dipped their oars with any sound, but pulled daintily, each one steering very keen and tensely into the shadows within that mighty mass of weed. It chanced that one of the men ceased suddenly to pull upon his oar, looking very eagerly and fearfully at something that he perceived amid the gloom that lurked among the monstrous stems of the weed. And at that, every man ceased likewise to work upon his oar, and peered fearfully into the dark places of the weed, being assured that the man saw something very dreadful. The captain made no attempt to chide the men— but stared himself as even as I did, to see what manner of thing it was that the man saw. And presently each one discovered the thing for himself. But at the first it seemed only as if we peered at a great and ugly bunching of the weed stems, far inward from the edge of the island, but in a little while the thing grew plainer to the eye, and we saw that it was some kind of a devilfish or octopus lying among the weed very quiet, and shaded with the same gloom and colour as the weed which was its home. The thing was enormous, as my eyes told me, seeming to spread all ways among the weed. Captain Johnson got up out of the stern of the boat, and called in a low voice to the men to dip their oars very gently, so as to have way upon the boat again. And this they did with great care— while the captain steered the boat outward a while from the island, and we became presently happier in our minds, as we drew afar off from so dreadful and horrible a brute. In this way we pulled nearly a good mile southward, keeping well from the shore of the island, and soon we saw the weed come outward in something of a ness or cape from the main body. We came round this with a fair offing, and found the shore of the island ran inward in a deep bay. And in the weed, in the bite of the bay, we saw something that made us suppose we had discovered the place whence came that unnatural calling in the dawn, for there was the hull of a vessel, all mastless in among the weed near the edge, yet not very plain to be seen, because it was so hidden and smothered by the weed. We were all vastly excited at this, and the captain bid the men give way with heartiness. And indeed, we lost suddenly the fear of lurking monsters which had before made us so quiet and cautious. And because the men set their strength into the oars, we came very soon to the bight of the bay, where lay the derelict ship, and found that she was no more than maybe a dozen yards or so inward of the weed, which was pretty low and flat in that place around her but beyond the ship the weed was piled up very dark and gloomy for twenty feet high and more, and growing all over her. We paused now, wondering how we should best come up to the ship, and all the time, while the captain considered, I spied through my glasses at the wreck, having little hope that we should find any aboard of her, for it was plain to me now how old she was, and all crumbled with time and weather, and the weed girting her in all parts seeming to grow through the wood of her sides, though this was very incredible. Yet so we found it to be, when we came near her. Afterwards, I searched the weed all near her, to see whether there was any monster fish about, Captain Johnson doing the same, but we found nothing. And the captain then gave orders to put the boat in among the weed, and we cut our way through the low weed, to the side of the ship. Now, as we made way through the weed, it amazed us to see how much life had been hidden there, very still, for all the weed now about the boat was a swarm with small crabs, running along the fronds and smaller stems— while the water that showed between the growths of the weed was full of living things— great shrimps that seemed bigger than prawns, darting a thousand ways at once, and coloured fish that passed very swiftly. From the weed itself, numberless insects of a peculiar kind jumped like a flea, only that they were a hundred times greater. And twice and thrice, as we put the boat through the weed— we disturbed great crabs that were laying there sullen, or waiting for their prey—one of them as big across the back as a dish-cover, which caught at the oar of one of the men with its pincers, and nipped the thin wood of the blade through, quick and cleanly. Afterwards it went away, rough and active, shaking the weed in its passage, which will show you the vigour and strength that was in the creature." In a few minutes we had cut away into the ship, using the axes and the men's knives and the oars, but the cutlasses the captain would not have used on the wood, because they were weapons, and to be kept as such. When we came close in upon the ship, we found that the weed grew completely through her side, as though the weed had rooted in the wood of her, and we were all somewhat astonished at this thing, and many another which we discovered... But when we came to clamber up her side, we found the wood had gone soft, and rotted to a sponginess, so that we could kick our shod toes into the wood, and thereby make each an immediate ladder upwards. When we came to the top level of the hulk, and could look aboard, there was nothing to her but the shell of her sides, and of her bows and stern, for all the decks were gone, and the beams that had held the decks were part missing and few of those which remained were complete. The bottom of the ship was rotted nigh out of her, so that the weed came upward in plenty that way, with the water showing down below very gloomy and dark, and the weed grew through the sides of the vessel, or over the rails, just as it had seemed to suit the convenience of the strange vegetable, if I may call it so. It was very dismal looking downward into that Desert hull which had been upheld from its sinking by the grip of the weed through a hundred or maybe two hundred years. When I asked the captain about this, he set her age to be something more than four hundred years, speaking learnedly concerning the rotted stern and bow, and the way and set of the frame timbers, so that it was plain to me that he had considerable knowledge on such matters. Presently, because there was nothing more to be done, we came down again to the boat, kicking our toes into the soft hull of the old ship for our footholds, and before we left her, I broke away a lump of one of her smaller timbers for a memento of the adventure. And after that, we backed out from the weed, glad to be free of it now that the lust of adventure had somewhat died out of us, and the memory of what lurked therein still strong upon us so we made the complete round of that island, which was more than seven good miles in all, to circumnavigate, and afterwards we pulled to our own ship with very good appetites for our breakfast, as you may think. All that day it remained calm, and often I turned my glass upon the weed islets that studded the sea in other parts, but none was very great or high, though I reminded myself that they would have appeared higher, had we approached them in a boat. And this we found to be true, for we used that afternoon to go from one small islet to another in the boat, and crabs and fish and small living things we found in plenty, but never any sign of a wreck, or of human life. We returned to our ship in the evening, "'and had much talk upon the strangeness of that calling that had come to us in the dawn. "'But no reasonable explanation could we make. "'And presently I went to my bed, "'being weary by the lack of rest on the night that had passed. "'I was wakened in the early morn by the captain shaking me, "'and when I had come properly to my senses, "'he told me to hasten on deck, that it was still calm.' and they had heard the voice again in the dawn that was just breaking. On hearing this, I made speed to go with Captain Johnson on deck, and here, upon the poop, I found the second mate with his glass, staring eastward across the sea towards the weed island, which was barely seen save as a vague shadow, low upon the water. The second mate held up his hand to us, and whispered, "Hist," and we all fell to listening but there came no sound for a time, and meanwhile I was greatly aware of the very solemn beauty of the dawn, for the eastward sky seemed lost in waters of quiet emerald, from a strange and apparent green to a translucence of shimmering green, that surely stretched to the very borders of the eternal, in palest lights that carried the consciousness through ethereal deeps of space, until the soul went lost the glimmering dawn, greeting unknown spirits. And this is but a clumsy wording of the way that the holiness of that dim light and wonder hushed my very being with a silent happiness. Then, even as I came to this condition of mind, out of the eastward sea, and of all that quiet of the dawn, there came again that far-attenuated voice.
1: Son Son of man,
0: coming faint and thin, and incredible out of the utter stillness of the wonder and silent glamour of the east. The green of the lower sky faded even as we listened, breathless, and upward there stole the stain of purple lights that blended into a growing bloom of fire clouds in the middle and lower sky, and so to warmer lights, and then to the silver-grey paling, of the early morning. And still, we waited. Presently eastward, there came a golden warmth upward into the pearl quiet of the lower sky, and the edge of the sun rose up calm and assured out of the mists, casting a roadway of light over the sea. And in that moment, the far, lost voice came again.
1: Son of man!
0: drifting to us strangely over the hushed sea, seeming to come out of immense and infinite distances, a voice thin and lonesome, as might be thought to be the call of a spirit crying in the morning. As we looked at one another, questioning wordless things, there came a vague, impossible piping far away and away over the sea, to be presently lost again in the quietness, and we were all agog to know what it might portend. After breakfast that day, Captain Johnson ordered the boat to be lowered, and put a large crew into her, all armed as before. Then we put off to the weed island. But before we left the ship, the captain had dismounted the smallest ship's bell that was upon the poop, and this we had with us in the boat, also his speaking trumpet— All that morning we spent circumnavigating the great weed island again, and at each hundred fathoms I beat upon the bell, and the captain sent his voice inland, speaking through the trumpet, and asking whether there were any derelict ship with lost humans hid in the heart of the weed. Yet whether his voice carried through the weed, or was smothered, we could not know. But only of this could we be certain—that there came never— an answer, out of all that desolation of the weed, neither to the bell, nor to our callings. In this way, we went full round about that island, and naught came of it, save once, when we were very near in shore, I saw a truly monstrous crab, double as big as any I had ever seen, far in among the great weed-stems, and the crab was Dark hued, as though to match the darker colour of that inward weed. And by this I judged that it lived far inward, amid the gloom of the centre parts of that strange island. And truly, as I thought, what could we do, even though we found a ship far inward of the weed? For how could any man face a monstrous thing like that? And surely there would be multitudes of such brutes in the middle part of the island taking no count of the devilfish, which also inhabited the weed of that desolate and lonesome island. In the end, we came back to our own ship, having passed again that doleful hulk within the edge of the weed island, and I remember how I thought of the long centuries that had gone since that old craft was lost. When we came back to the ship, Captain Johnson went up the mainmast— "'and I with him, and from the cross-trees we made a further examination, through the glasses, of the inward parts of the great island. But the weed went everywhere in a riot of ugly yellow, and in this place and that the colour changed to a dull, greenish hue, where the weed was hidden from the light. And presently we ceased to spy upon the island—' For the overarching and entanglement of those monstrous fronds would have hidden with ease a great fleet of ships, if the same had been lacking their masts. Now, whether there was a ship hidden in all that desolation of weed, who shall say? And if there had been a ship hidden, and caught far inward of that weed, and all overgrown with it, how was it likely that any living being was aboard of her? For you must Bear in mind the human needs of any that would be so held, and further you must remember the monstrous brutes that roamed in that great bulk of the weed. And again, if there had been a ship inward of that weed, and a living human still within her, why should he make that strange crying in the dawn, over the sea, and yet give no answer to our callings? On all this I have pondered a thousand times and oft, but have no ready answer to myself, save that there might have been some poor mad soul, yet holding off desperately from death through the lonesome years, in a lost ship hidden within that weed. This is the only explanation that I have found to come anywhere near the need of my reasoning. And, truly, it would be strange if such a one could be anything but a lonesome madman, "'greeting each dawn with wild and meaningless words and singings "'that might seem to be of meaning to a poor, demented brain. "'But whether this was so, "'or whether there was some matter in the adventure "'beyond our indifferent knowledge, "'I cannot altogether decide. "'I can only tell you that, "'in the dawn of the third day of that calm, "'we heard again that far and strange calling,' coming to us through the hush and the greyness, out of the eastward sea, where the weed island lay. Very thin and lonesome was the cry.
1: Son of man!
0: man. Coming to us in a long and drawn-out attenuation of sound, as if out of an immense distance. The dawn was ruddy, showing plain signs of wind— Yet before the wind came down upon us, the upward edge of the sun rose above the black gloomed horizon, very sombre-seeming, and bearded with the wind haze. The sea had gone leaden, and the sun threw a roadway of crimson light upon us, very grand yet somewhat dreary, and in that moment we heard the far faint voice again, for the last time.
1: Son of man!
0: and afterwards that vague, attenuated piping that had grown so weak-sounding, we scarcely knew whether we heard it or not, for the coming of the wind made a little, almost unperceived, noise over the sea. And presently the wind darkened the northward sea, and our sails filled as the yards were swung by the sailors, and we sailed beyond the long desolation of the great Weed Island, and continued our voyage, leaving the mystery of the voice to the hush of the sea, and the companionship of its constant mystery. Hello ladies and gents, Ian here. Be sure to pop on over to our YouTube channel or Facebook page for regular updates. If you'd like to support our work, please consider taking a look at our Patreon or Bandcamp pages, or search for us on Audible. You'll find links to everything on our website, horrorbabble.com forward slash links.